Welcome to Innovating Music, a podcast from the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation. I'm your host, Dr. Gigi Johnson. In this podcast, we will go down the rabbit hole. Our guest today is Amadea Choplin, who is the Chief Operating Officer of a company you may not have heard of called PEX. PEX is based here in Los Angeles, and they do work looking at not just the official things that music companies and others do on the web, but all of the work that we all do with that content in our social and other spaces online. She'll share details that you may not know about at all about the depth and breadth of what happens to our work after we disseminate it on the web and ways we can take that information to make better decisions and understand our fans and fans of other people's work much better. So enjoy this podcast and it will open up the rabbit hole for you. I think given that almost everyone I run into does not know what PEX does. Uh, so when I mention you guys, people go, what? <laughs> Before I ask you to tell me how you got to PEX and how PEX got started, can you start out with what in the world is PEX and why you guys have this really interesting both perspective and tech and opportunity right now? Yeah, absolutely. So PEX is a startup. We track all the copies of content um, that are found online. So the way we work is a little bit like a search engine, but instead of tracking similar words, we track videos and music. So the system works a little bit like Shazam, if you want. Instead of hearing the music that's playing in the background, we hear it as soon as it's uploaded on any of the publicly open streaming platforms. So that might be YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, SoundCloud, whatever it is, we track about 30 of those right now. And so in real time, as soon as even half a second of any video or music that we track is uploaded on those platforms, we instantly spot it. So you are a B2B service that you're working with companies, corporations, and organizations and government folks to get data out of this? Or is this something that an artist or a consumer can also engage with you on? So currently, because it's only, you know, 30 people at the company, we are focused on working with sort of uh, music companies and film companies and, and such organizations. But in the next few months, we'll be looking to work with individual creators and musicians that want to know where their content is and how big their reach is. Essentially, it's kind of twofold. It's understanding where each copy is and how um, you can make the most of each copy, whether that's understanding why someone re-uploaded your content, what they did with it, did they comment it, did they just uh, put your music on their wedding video, um, you know, whatever it is, just understanding where your content lives. And it might be also aggregating that data to then uh, understand your reach because you might think, oh, well, my accounts have one million listens, 
But actually, if you look at everywhere your music lives, there's a billion people that heard your music. Wow. And so actually, this is something I should come up later, but podcasts too? Podcasts have such terrible data as to who listened and who did what to whom. So podcasts are also one of these species that you can follow across the web? Absolutely. Any sound or video. So it needs to move. We don't do images, for example. Um, and we don't care if, uh, you know, we're tracking Taylor Swift's song. We don't care that it says Taylor Swift or if it's just your dancing baby dancing to Taylor Swift's music. We really track um, the content itself. So you're not tracking the title or the metadata. You're tracking it some other way. Yeah, exactly. So it works. We, we are collecting the metadata around it, but the way that we find the content is through using this technology that's called fingerprinting. And so that's what I was saying about it. It's in a, it works in a similar way that Shazam works, where it just listens and creates um, what's called a hash, which is, you know, a very short coded uh, version of the um, music or, or video. So I'm going to back us up to the front end of life and ask you, how in the world you ended up with at PEX? Yes, it was about three years ago. At the time, I was working for um, Daily Motion, um, which is a video platform. It's very big, especially in, uh, in France. Um, but I was working in their Palo Alto offices, um, and I was working on its strategy and communications. Daily Motion had just been bought by Vivendi who also owns Universal Music. A lot of our issues in the transition um, post-acquisition were also coinciding with regulation issues where essentially it was kind of a battle between open streaming platforms and creators and rights holders, you know, where, where the platforms uh, want to stay open and make it possible for anyone to upload content on. Often the rights holders complain that their content is getting re-uploaded without permission, uh, without necessarily um, attribution or monetization. Especially at the EU level, it was a very big battle about who's responsible for this copyrighted content. Is it the platforms that are letting it go on or you know, are the rights holders responsible for finding any reused copy of their content and asking the platform to take it down, which you know, was, uh, was what it was. And some of that was really set up by the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Absolutely. So that set the ground rules that it was the a person putting its up's responsibility to affidavit that, oh no, we have the rights to this. And then the platform's obligation simply to respond to inquiries and take it down, then allowing things to rubber ball back up. Exactly. For the platforms, there's a problem of scale because there's so much content getting uploaded every single minute that they can't possibly, you know, track everything. So there needs to be technology in place. And for rights holders, you know, it's the same. It's like they can't, there's millions and millions of copies of their content and they can't possibly find every single one manually. You know, this was an ongoing problem on both both ends. For years, I sat in kind of EU and uh, French government meetings about, you know, what are we going to 
do about this? Oh, it's the platform's fault. Oh, it's the rights holders uh, fault. Oh, you know, and the debate never really went anywhere. Eventually, I met Rusty. He told me about kind of what he was building. Rusty is the founder of, uh, of PEX, and he's an engineer, a fabulous engineer, and was kind of building this from the ground up. And he told me about what he was doing, what he had already achieved. Now, when did he get this all started? What time frame was that? So that was five years ago now. Um, so February 2014. And the initial idea was to do exactly like a Shazam, but for videos. So you're looking at a screen uh, in a coffee shop and you want to know what's on TV, you know, track it and, uh, or pex it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and really there was no funding for that. <laughs> yeah. You know, people said, you know, no one's going to be interested in this and that. But what we want to know is that, but for tracking tracking content as it goes up online. And so, and so that's how, how Pegs got started. Getting to daily motion then, are, and going to strategy there, are you an engineer by training? Are you a multi-talented technologist? How did you end up getting into that space? Not, none of the above. Um, I studied political science and international relations. I guess I, well, I have a whole previous life where I did IPOs and investor relations. I was based in London. I did a lot of transactions, essentially, uh, traveling with large corp companies uh, around the world to tell their stories to investors. And one of those clients was Orange, who acquired daily motion and was going to sell it to Yahoo and then the government blocked it. So there was a lot of policy dealings with it. And then I had a personal background in the performance arts. My family is in the opera. So I quite naturally had an affinity with creators and artists and how hard it is to make a living and saw these platforms as kind of a unique opportunity to generate income for people who are out there making a living of their art. And that's how, that's kind of how I got to Daily Motion. So you ended up then joining forces with Rasty. When I first met you, I want to say you guys had 15 or 16 employees. So you've doubled in size. What is the need that is creating the opportunity for you? And what are maybe the footprints on the road behind you? I'm aware from some of my wanderings that early on there were no good audio video search engines and so there really was a dependence on metadata and early real gaps in metadata so are we now getting to the point that the technology is catching up with the opportunity or is something else happening now that makes this more crucial yeah, absolutely. So essentially, the problem is just growing. So when I was at Daily Motion, we kept telling regulators, look, we'd love to stop all copyrighted content from being uploaded on our platforms, but the technology is simply not out there. When I met Rusty, I realized the technology is here. This is what it is. That's where we got started. And then we started working with one major music company and then another and then another and 
now have a very, very large footprint in the music industry and beyond, the problem that they're trying to solve is this kind of huge virality in music and in video. When a content is published on the internet, everyone takes ownership of it and it spreads like wildfire. That's really the culture of the internet. There's really no point in trying to stop it. It's gonna happen. And so music is everywhere. It might not be that everyone is copying this Taylor Swift music video because they want to pirate it. No, they just want to show their baby dancing to Taylor Swift and that's fine. The content owner just needs to know that it's there and that people are viewing their content in that way. Well, I'm aware that a while ago that there were some technologies out there that were attempting to chase down stuff that had gone viral and then attach ads later. I think that was something that was part of, I think, Auditude that was invested in by Viacom at one point in time. Is that what this is so that I can go chase stuff that is out in the wild? Or is it simply telling me it's there so I can have other either legal or marketing proceedings? What's the, what's the next step on you pointing out, look, there's a two-second clip of blah, blah, blah in this baby video or a, mm -hmm. a full track? What is... What is the deliverable to the music and other companies and what do they then do with this information? So some platforms will enable the rights holders to exactly as you said, monetize that content. So say, hey, this is my music on this video. I wanna um, take a chunk of the advertising revenue that's playing on it because I own it. And hence you can generate revenue through advertising and yet leave the content up. So it's kind of a win-win for everyone. Uh, the person who uploaded the video gets to keep it up and the person who owns the music or part of the video can also get some revenue from it and be paid for their work. That's a first and kind of basic step. Um, then there is much more complex procedures. It might be that you actually find online a sync license um, that was never asked for or negotiated. There is some revenue there that you can go and claim. It might be that you can then realize that your audience is not 1,000 people, it's 1 million people. And then that has value either if you're a musician for uh, a label that might sign you um, or it, you know, for where you decide to go in concert, you might realize like, hey, I have this huge following on vk.com, which is a Russian platform. Maybe I need to go to Russia. Maybe there's an audience there for me. You can also find people who are using your music because they really love it to a point where they're not just listening to it on your accounts, they're making it their own, they're commenting it, they're adding it to mashups. And so you can create a new kind of audience segment from that and uh, engage with those super fans that you've now found that really, you know, just love your content so much they want it in their own content creation. 
So for marketers now, and I'm we're in February, excuse me, we're in March 2019. I have to think about when we are right now. I'm about to teach my annual internet <laughs> marketing and branding for musicians class. And every year we look at the, what is the data available for the artist and manager and songwriter and publishing company to know where the work is in the world and how to then reconnect with fans. This is actually going beyond it, it's it's if i'm finding something on youtube it's not telling me that that jane smith in morocco and jane smith is probably not her name in morocco is listening to it because that would actually be pointing me to youtube and then through youtube i would be able to more granularly find someone who's listening to that track maybe but this is really telling me here's all the places my song is being heard or fragments of my song is being heard so then I have to go to each of those places to try to get demographic aggregated data or is something about this bringing that more granular information as well into the mix? Yes, so you're getting the information about where your content is being reused and how many views it has there. What people are then reusing that reused content. So how does your content travel through first maybe you posted it on Facebook and someone re-uploaded it on Instagram and people are making copies of that Instagram video or uh, and then it's uploaded to SoundCloud and MixCloud and my mixtapes in this you know this piece done by this one DJ and then people are taking that and it's moving forward like that mm -hmm. and so that's really the virality and the viral nature of online platforms today is that your content travels and from the minute that you put it out there, you really don't have currently any other way to, to track it. And so is there any um, means to geofence or geo, geocache or whatever it is to the geography or the physical space of that spread or is it simply by platform and by country? That would really depend on the platform and the country um, and the, the platform itself having means to let you do that. So I think YouTube has systems in place to help you do this, uh, but not necessarily the others. But only for the things that you put up, right? Mm -hmm. So if it is moved into someone else's um, account that they're then sharing your content, you can't look under their hood or can you? No, but you can, you know, take actions against it depending on what the platform lets you do. So there's almost layering what you're doing into many other data sets, pools, visualizations. So what is the type of output then that a company gets from you guys? So they'll see every single piece of um, reused content that's uploaded on every single platform in real time and also in history. So we can go back in time and say, hey, in 2014, in 2015, in 2016, all these you know, re pieces of content were uploaded uh, that include your songs. Um, and they'll get that, and then they'll get the aggregated data on that. So which, how many, 
reused content on Instagram? How many on Twitter? How many views do all of these aggregate? How many likes? How many comments? How many shares? Which piece of the content was the most popular? Oh, this little piece was sampled over and over again. And so it's this one minute 10 to one minute 15 piece of the song that was that was taken or was it the full song that was re-uploaded over and over again so all of these types of uh, metrics will will be aggregated in our in our analytic system and so then your customers get access to this data visualization rich platform or they get a big old download or whatever they're wanting to contract with you guys? They can do either. So they can, um, we have an interface. They can see all of this on the interface. It's all visualized on the interface or they can pull the data. If they're, you know, big company, they can pull all the data via an API um, and treat it in their own systems. Uh, they can also download CSV files with literally every single URL of every single upload. They can filter it. They can say, hey, I only really care about Facebook um, and filter it with that. And only uh, videos, I only care to see videos on Instagram that have more than a thousand views and that were posted between January 2015 and January 2016 and only by verified channels and et cetera, et cetera. So I do a lot of work in competitive analysis. Do I only see my stuff or can I also see other people's stuff? You can see anyone's stuff. Uh, so we let you track any content. So you can upload a file or any YouTube link and see where else that content exists. So for marketers, for example, you might not really care where your ad is gone, but you might want to see, hey, where's the competition's ad gone? You can see that through us. And that's actually hard to do with a lot of people's artist platforms or other things because you see your stuff, but you don't necessarily see other people's stuff or some platforms let you do that, but that's an interesting difference. So you do have, and, and you and I have talked about this in the past, so you do have marketers also coming in to use your platform. Yes, absolutely. So it might be, it's anyone who creates any content or who distributes content is, can be, you know, can find out a lot from our data. What we also supply is not only data that's only specifically linked to the content, but because we have all the content that is uploaded on all these platforms, we now track more than 15 billion videos and songs. Wow. So that lets us get these market analytics in a sense to understand how big is music on YouTube and what are some influencers that are getting traction on Instagram that I might not know about uh, and a range of metrics that are both platform and internet wide and not limited to one platform. You mentioned that Rasti started this adventure 15 years ago. Do you five have data? Years ago, five years, five years ago. ago. Sorry, my my brain is <laughs> going to the. So, do you have data going back then? Five years? Is that how the backwards part of this goes as to when you started collecting, or how does the backwards part work? The backwards part works in the sense that we have all the data from the inception of the platform. 
of your platform? No, of like YouTube was started in 2005. And so we have the data from 2005. Interesting. I did early videos way back then. So my stuff might still be there. It's definitely still there. <laughs> it is. And the people on it look back and go, gosh, I was really young back in 2005. We, we should check it, Judy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a whole long story and a, probably a podcast all by itself. Are there then people doing kind of meta studies or meta research looking at big trends using your work? Are you guys digesting a lot of this to be able to share the bigger trends happening or tiny trends that are happening? Yes, absolutely. So we do a lot of work, notably in music, uh, to try to understand how big music really is on these platforms. It's not only limited to the music category, essentially. The music category on a platform like YouTube is really only 5% of the content. It's also 20% of the views, for example. So we're able to track this kind of data. But what we've also found is that really music is not just what's called music on a platform like YouTube. There's, if you think about it, when was the last time that you saw a video that didn't include music? All videos have a jingle, have some background music, involve music in a way or another. So actually we track that 85% of videos on YouTube have at least 10 seconds of music inside of the video. So that's all done using um, kind of machine learning technologies uh, to understand what's music, what's not, what's speech, uh, and, and, and derive some conclusions from that. So what are the big trends? Again, we're in early 2019. What are the big trends that you then are seeing happening in changes from what was happening in all of these spaces last year to this year? Anything that you could share with us? There's some interesting trends in music. I think that what we've seen in the past few years, for example, on YouTube is that Latin music is really taking over the very, very successful top of the platform. So if you look at uh, 2018's top 10 most viewed videos on YouTube, six of them are Latin music videos. And the year before that, it was three, etc. And so it goes back down. And uh, so we really see this rise of Latin music. And so that is an interesting trend. Is that specific to YouTube? um, That is quite specific to YouTube. So on if you look at top 10s on uh, some other of the big four platforms, Twitter, Instagram, um, they're much less dominated by music. Music exists in the videos, but it's not necessarily music videos that are the top of the views. Other trends, especially on the pass-along nature of and the virality of music, is that accelerating, changing? Well, yes, it's, it's, it is accelerating. There's more and more videos that make it past 1 billion views that get there more and more quickly. There's also just a growing number of platforms on which music is accessible. So there's obviously it's uh, it's everywhere on the big four platforms of YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, but there's SoundCloud still has, you know, 3 million uploads every month. 
there, there's my mixtapes, there's Mixcloud, there's TikTok. There are so many platforms on which music is distributed and it's really no longer a game of, you know, putting it out on one platform. You really have to reach your audience on all of these platforms and consider that your reach is all of your audience on all of these platforms because one is simply not enough. And that your audience is doing a lot of the quote unquote work for you? Absolutely. So we'll find with really successful artists, it'll be about 1% of their views and listens that will be on their original accounts. And 99% will be views that come from re-uploaded versions of their content. Wow. That is an amazing difference. It's huge. It really makes the whole difference when you're trying to understand how large your audience is. And then the need, I think of it again, I look at competitive data, the need to understand that 99% behavior before you then go release your next piece, your next album, your next track, your next EP. Absolutely, because that's also an average. So we'll also see pieces of content that might be popular, but they're really not viral. People don't reuse them, quite simply. It just, it's popular, people watch it, and people move on with their lives. There's others that are just super viral. Everyone reuses it. There's more and more um, challenges, too, with a platform like TikTok. We're seeing some videos and some music videos that are super popular. I was looking yesterday at this one microwave challenge that's popular on the platform right now. And there is a bell sound inside the song that sounds a little bit like a microwave bell. And people are spinning on themselves, uh, imitating a microwave. And that's getting this song re-uploaded and re-uploaded and re-uploaded on TikTok. But then those videos then end up on YouTube and they end up on Facebook and people share them everywhere. <sighs> so there's, there's a gigantic mine of, of information that also is the challenge of then how you get all of those reuse fans to turn into something that is of value and revalue for the artist manager um, uh, songwriter, etc. It's not just, hi, how do I make money off this track that is out in the wild, but how do I then get that fan to know about other opportunities with that brand? Absolutely. And so what you can do with these channels is essentially create whitelists and make these accounts, people that you might want to target later on in another campaign when you're marketing another piece of content or another, um, you know, another product essentially. So it's kind of a whole remarketing question. Exactly. How, how you can tag and get back to them and find a way to have them see your next opportunity since they've evidenced by behavior, but off your normal track, off your official tracks to be able to say, hey, you know, you've, you've done the work. Now let's get you in the fold. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. Interesting. So what are you seeing then as the big, the big challenges that remain or the big next steps that you wish there were answers for? I think what we see is that, you know, some platforms have made it really easy to just say, hey, here's my work. I want to monetize it. Click. Done. 
And that's, that makes it possible for artists to get a huge uh, chunk of um, revenue from the platform that they wouldn't otherwise see. And there's still a lot of platforms out there that don't have such mechanisms in place. And I think that's really the next step is making our technology available in a way that platforms can then all implement uh, this kind of attribution on, the, on, on their platforms and hence get the artists paid the, for their work. And so that's, that's something that we're working on at the moment and we're launching. It's, um, it's called our attribution engine and it's going to help all artists and creators claim their content essentially throughout the internet. Are there any global issues that you are seeing on your global platform? We tend to talk whether we're meaning to or not from a U.S. point of view about U.S. marketplaces and U.S. audiences. What are you seeing? Is there anything that you're seeing that is intriguing on a global basis? Well, so we track all sorts of platforms, whether they're US-based or uh, international. So we'll track platforms like VK, uh, Yuku, um, and a range of others. Uh, so VK is very big in Russia, Yuku is in China. And so different kinds of work will be popular in different places. The, the difficulty again is we get asked, okay, well, can I take a DM, can I make a DMCA takedown on Yuku? Will they, will they, will they put it in, will they take the content down? You know, that's still a little bit of an issue, uh, whether, and, and different regulations getting put in place also in different countries. So in the U.S., there is a notion of fair use. It's different in different countries. So in Europe, they might consider that up to three minutes of the content getting reused is fair use. Different countries will have different regulations, and hence it's really difficult to apply the same rules everywhere when wanting to take action on content. Well, is there anything that you would be excited about happening in the future that would make your job easier or more necessary? I think a global, under, a global understanding that, A, you know, content can be reused and that's good. It's positive for the artists and for the platforms and it's a win-win for everyone. Everyone gets to see the content, share the content, engage with the content, uh, whether it's music or video, see it everywhere and let it travel. And, uh, but also attribute the ownership, be able, being able to attribute the ownership to the person who created it in the first place, I think is so crucial. And so that's really what we're working on at the moment and what we hope sees, sees the, you know, see some success is really having this accessible, no matter the platform, no matter the artist or whether they're independent, whether they're part of a major, really adding transparency to where, con where your music, where your videos are traveling online and on which platforms and being able to access that information and take actions based on it so that artists get a fair 
payment and and uh, and a good understanding of where their content lives. So if someone would like to work with you guys or get a hold of you, how would you like them to reach out? Uh, well, they can email me. My email is amadea at pex.com. And so I'm happy for anyone to reach out who wants to know where their content lives. Excellent. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Izzy. Well, that wraps up this podcast. Many thanks to the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation for being our hosts of this ongoing series. You can subscribe to us in all the usual places, or you can come find us at innovation.schoolofmusic.ucla.edu. Join us again to follow the other adventures that we will be tracking down in innovating music. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.